0: Welcome back to the 203rd episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including how we are going to stop foreign money from coming into our election system, an interesting article talking about how Ron DeSantis didn't capitalize and how he's probably going to flounder, and an article talking about South Korea on the world stage and its economic and its geopolitical influence. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight. A story meant to leave you feeling positive, right? To take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So have we done enough to limit the amount of foreign money that makes it into our election system? I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We've done a lot. We have. We've uh, made really conscious attempts but yet every year or every other year you hear some story about some foreign money making it to one of your favorite or least favorite politicians, you hear things about Eric Adams and how uh, foreign actors you know influence the way that he goes about his policy and he just happened to get a lot of money in his campaign coffers from organizations or you know groups, people that are from that other nation that may benefit from some sort of policy change in New York City. so has there been enough done, and if you don't have a full opinion. You can answer the day of the debate after we get through our first story, which comes from Raw Story. The headline reads, FEC urges Congress to close a foreign money loophole. So when I first heard this, I was like, whoa, 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 What? Do you, okay, hold on. We've already closed most of them. What's, what's this one consist of? But you know, Raw Story, they break it down pretty darn well for us, and I'm going to just go to their first quote to kind of set the scene. Quote, the Federal Election Commission is urging Congress to close a loophole in the federal law that allows foreign corporations to finance ballot measures. So, okay, we first get into it, you know, at the end of the day, they're not saying, oh, yeah, 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 yeah." this foreign corporation, these foreign companies, these foreign individuals, they're not tossing a whole bunch of money just at a candidate there's actually this little workaround in order to get certain ballot initiatives. Think of the ones that just happened in Ohio uh, this, what, it would have been November, so probably a month and a half ago at the time of listening to this, or sorry, at the time of creating this. So you're looking at a month and a half ago a ballot initiative in Ohio or different ballot initiatives that are probably going to be on the upcoming 2024 ballots, such as... Uh, pro-abortion, anti-abortion ones, uh, maybe there are a few other ones, like in Texas, they're probably going to be talking about the succession of Texas. I believe they finally got enough votes for that, so that will probably be a ballot referendum, a ballot proposal in the upcoming election in March in Texas, I believe, if I'm not crazy. So this is not necessarily talking about campaign finance. This is still talking about, you know, a few different voting measures that are put out there, but they're not talking directly about money going to candidates. You may think, okay, well, why is that that such a, a big deal? Because, you know, we're really worried about the corruption that happens when foreign countries and individuals give money to the people in power and then they favor those other individuals. Well, if they're still able to put on a ballot referenda, if they're able to put on these different ballot measures and proposals, they could still shift the way that we interact overseas, I guess. I mean, it's probably a little bit more rare because normally these are internal, but they can shift the internal demographics too. This is why ballot measures are really, really important because in Ohio, they had for their ballot initiative that was going on this November, I believe the turnout was around like 45%. And the normal turnout at their last election, the midterm election, was 47%. And mid-year elections don't get everybody to vote like presidentials, but still, if you're able to garner pretty much the same numbers, you know, two percentage points off, that's a little bit, but basically the same numbers because of a ballot initiative, if you're able to get out of the get out the vote because the people care about this ballot initiative, especially the one that was about abortion in Ohio, then you can shift the demographics. Because also in the one that was going on in Ohio, guess what? Who cares more about abortion? it's probably going to be Democratic voters. Republicans are probably not going to be as motivated to get out there when it's not something that they care about. So with certain ballot initiatives and putting them on the docket, you're able to, in a subtle way, and it's not always going to work out, but in theory, you're able to shift the demographics of who is actually showing up and the people that are impassioned in order to vote that year. So that's why this is really important and that's why the FEC is pushing Congress to close it. Quote, the Federal Elections Campaign Act currently prohibits foreign nationals and corporations from making political donations and independent expenditures in connection with an election for federal, state, or local office. But the ban does not apply to political spending on ballot measures, referenda, Or even recall elections where a candidate is not seeking office. So that last one is also very interesting on uh, recall initiatives. Imagine you have a a state like California which trades a lot with other nations and they don't like the route that the executive is taking. They could very well pour money into a runoff or a um, re-election bid for or sorry, the best way to put it would be a recall election, like they used in the language here, and then they could throw money at the... Uh, initiative and say okay hey we're going to put out some political spending we're going to maybe they create a pack of some kind that runs or give money to a pack that would run ads against the person being recalled because they want a different executive in that state to change the trade policy maybe california has really high tariffs on a certain type of technology that comes in that's crucial to silicon valley and it comes from a foreign country and the foreign country's like whoa whoa you know I honestly don't like this little tariff, this little tax that we're having to pay. It makes us a little bit less appealing to these California-based companies. I mean, why would they want to pay an extra 10% on our product when they could you know, create that product themselves or you know go to a domestically or a California-produced product so they don't have to pay that tariff? So you could see how these sort of things would possibly inspire other countries to... Uh, Throw some money the way of it. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if China is throwing what in California, most of their races are probably going to run in the uh, 200 to 300 million range. And if it's a recall, it's probably not that much. So imagine China just shells out 150 million to a pack in order to run campaigns, uh, ads against the person that is being recalled. I mean, they probably wouldn't even have to shell out that much, imagine that kind of investment and that return on investment if they do get the governor of California out of his office, and I'm not saying they're gonna guarantee that they're gonna get somebody in that they like, but at least removing the person you don't like, I mean, they're probably, they're like, yeah, why not? Why not spend this money? So you could see why this would be important to get this loophole closed. And at the end of the day, I think you could, if someone really wanted to make an argument for having uh, foreign money in our elections, I would love to hear it. I feel like this is very common sense. This is very straightforward. Just as other countries don't want us interfering in their elections, they don't want any CIA operations, they don't want any foreign money, they don't want Shell, well, Shell's actually a Dutch company, they wouldn't want a company like U.S. Steel to go and lobby different countries and their participants in the elections and give money to different participants just because they, U.S. Steel, would like the outcome if a certain executive got in there. Maybe that executive in, uh, let's choose a random country, let's say uh, Panama. In Panama, they have a really pro-Steel executive, and U.S. Steel wants to keep them in. Yeah, no, that's still not okay. You gotta let the people speak for themselves. If you want, you know, internal steel companies doing that sort of lobbying, maybe you should talk to your friends in Panama and say, Hey, okay, we work with you, we love you as a steel producer, so maybe you guys should consider spending some money because this guy is gonna A different guy's going to get in there, he's going to change the policy, and we're not going to be able to work with you as tightly. Sure, if you want to lobby in that fashion, but using outside money to shape the results of other countries' elections? No, no, no. We can't have that. We can't be doing that, and we can't have that. Those are two important values that I think should probably persist. Now, someone could probably make an argument, in the global world, we need to protect our interests, or other countries need to protect their interests and. blah, 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 I don't want to listen to that, I don't care about that, is the right move by the FCC to at least ask Congress to do this. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect, I'm not saying there's not going to be more loopholes, but we already established, one, if it's in a recall, that could be very potentially beneficial to other countries. We talked about the fact that when you have different ballot measures on there, you can actually... In theory, shift the demographics of who's going out and voting. And if you know that one party is going to favor policies that work for you, or at least the current administration, your current way of viewing things, and we know, especially in America, where the lines are very clearly divided on a lot of different issues, and you know one side's definitely going to support your effort to do something, one side won't, then that is can be very effective when you put a ballot measure on in different states. Imagine they did this in all 50 states for a presidential election, or even 35, or even, as a lot of people have been saying, just six or seven states that are crucial to the winning of the electoral college that could shift the future of america and do you want outside powers outside nations outside interests the ones that are not american to be determining where we're going to go now come on it's a uh, it's childish to think otherwise or uh, naive no no childish quote in 2021 the fcc dismissed a complaint alleging that the australian mining company Sandfire resources violated federal campaign finance law when it spent nearly 288000 to defeat a Montana ballot measure that would have made it easier for regulators to deny mining permits. The commission concluded that foreign campaign contributions in connection to ballot questions fell outside the purview of federal law. So that's one other excuse, reason that people could give Oh well, you know, this falls outside our purview, we don't want to tackle it. I don't like that argument whatsoever. You already know where I stand. We need to get this money out of there. But look, it's even these ballot measures, they go beyond, you know, I said that other countries would care about certain things and they would probably care most about a recall if they're trying to get rid of somebody who doesn't agree with them, who's going to make it harder for their companies to do business in that state. But here we see a direct example of a ballot measure being preferential to outside countries. Montana they were saying no 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 okay we're gonna make it uh, harder we're gonna make it well we're making make it harder to get permits or we're gonna make it easier to deny permits and Australia's out here we're like whoa 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 hey we want to invest in Montana we want to bring some of our business to your state what what you mean bro what you mean that you're going to try to limit the amount of mining permits? We need this to be an easy process. We need you to be printing them off so we can open up new mines all across your state or even in just one particular county. Imagine all the jobs we could bring. There's so many different arguments here, but you can see it goes against the interests of these outside companies. Therefore, they're going to lobby in their own favor. It's not illogical. I'm not trying to say that, oh, okay, these countries, these companies pushing for their own interests within our own country when they are actively participating in the economy. You know, that does make sense. It's logically consistent. They're looking out for their own best interests. But does that mean that we should allow it? No. Because at the end of the day, if we're choosing an American company versus an Australian company... We should care more about the American company. We should care about companies that exist within our own borders. Now, that's not to say that other companies across the world that we interact with are not important. That's not to say that we have intricate supply chains that go across borders and that some, you know, some other companies should have their voice heard. But... That comes, like I talked about earlier, with an interaction between the different companies. That comes with the communication within the market rather than communication through political means. Now, we can't be having that whatsoever. But, you know, that's enough on that one. We talked about these loopholes, and it's not about direct elections of, you know, governors or things like that. But it is about these ballot measures that could influence and shape the way that, one, policy goes forward, like we mentioned with the Montana one, or with how the demographics, the people coming out to vote... It can also affect that, just like we saw in Ohio. And I would argue we're probably going to see in uh, Texas coming up here. The people that really want to see Texas secede from the union are going to be more Republican in nature. So I wouldn't be surprised if the ballot measure that's out there on in March, if the Republican Party actually takes it up then we probably see a higher amount of Republicans get out there to vote for that. And it'll just be another demonstration of how important these ballot measures are in turning out vote for particular people in particular places. So, With all that talk of election, or at least the interference of election out of the way, let's jump to the most important election going on, or at least the most important battle going on politically in the United States, and that is the GOP primary. And you may be thinking, wait, hold on, what do you mean, what do you mean? The Democratic primary is really important. And I'll say to you, well, is it actually happening? Are they actually having a primary? No, no, basically Joe Biden is anointed king. So, let's talk about the Republican primaries. Specifically, let's talk about DeSantis. So, this article comes from National Review, and the headline reads, The New York Times tallies the knives in DeSantis' back. And yes, that you heard him right, the New York Times. The New York Times is talking about how much DeSantis has failed. I don't... Know why I said that with any bit of surprise in my voice? That totally makes sense. I was just kind of intrigued to see National Review jumping on it as well. Honestly, I didn't see that one coming. But that's enough rambling. Let's jump to the first quote in a piece that's unquote in a piece that's unmistakably intended to be the last word on Ron DeSantis's campaign, a eulogy to dust off for future editorials when the New York Times needs to comment on whatever Ron might be doing in the next decade, the Times idly acknowledges two landmarks of import as it zooms past to fixate on ideological tourist traps that tantalize political reporters, private jets, golf simulators, and anonymous advisors. So what does that all mean? What do you actually get out of that? What they're saying is this is a hatchet job and they're just trying to be mean to DeSantis. They're just trying to call out where he screwed up, basically. And the National Review, while they're saying it kind of, it feels as though the author is saying it in a righteous manner, um, they they still kind of do jump in on what they're saying here. But, you know, I'm going to stop giving that kind of uh, (laughs) commentary and I'll let you just hear what the New York Times has to say. It's quoted in the National Review article, quote, Mr. DeSantis's decision to delay his entry into the race until after Florida's legislative session concluded meant that he was on the sidelines during Mr. Trump's most vulnerable period last winter. Then, once Mr. DeSantis did hit the trail, he struggled to connect, appearing far more comfortable with policy than people as awkward encounters went viral, and quote. So there's a little bit more that I want to read from that, but I want to actually push back here. Um, I have seen a lot of videos of Ron DeSantis, and yes, there are a lot of awkward ones. Guess what? There are ten times as many not-awkward ones that don't get out there. It's only the awkward ones that play into the narrative that he is awkward, and that are a little bit sensational, and, you know, get a lot of clicks. Those are the only ones that make it out. It is just perception bias. It is just numerical bias you see a whole bunch of awkward ones but you don't necessarily see all of the normal ones and remember that video where somebody was asking him uh why why you're being so awkward uh, why aren't you talking to people and he basically shut down the report and said oh i am i am talking to people it, that was true he was out there talking to people and the reporter was trying to get in his way he was trying to put his own narrative on the story now, is Ron DeSantis perfect? No. I do agree with the whole smiles that he gives during debates and other conferences. I do agree that he can be a little bit more awkward than other people. There's not, there, I'm not disagreeing with that, but the narrative that he is just so awkward that he doesn't get people, that one's a little bit frustrating to me. But I also do agree with the slant that they have here that he cares more about policy. He most definitely is more of a policy guy. He is a I-am-going-to-get-it-done guy. It's not oh, I'm going to preserve your feelings. No, it's I'm going to get it done. I'm sorry if it hurts, but I'm going to get it done because it's the right thing to do. So in this other point that he waited too long, I am still half and half on this one. At the end of the day, he had to make sure that everything was in order in Florida before he was to go out to make sure that he could hold his position as governor. But if you're also you're aspiring to something larger, maybe you should retire your position as governor and actually go full in on the presidential campaign. The argument that it seems as though he wants to have his cake and eat it too, he still wants to be able to fall back on governor if he doesn't become president. Uh, I think that's an interesting argument for sure. And if you really want to go for something, you get rid of the safety net and you just go all out for it. But yes, he did jump in really late. And the, there's also the difference, which is Trump actually jumped in really early. A lot of people were like, oh, wow, okay, he's announcing super early. There was the argument that it's probably to at least provide some protection against the legal cases that he knew was coming his way. But you have to remember, Trump announced in, what was it? It was basically a year ago at this point, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was late November, early December. That's, that's a year ago. And a lot of people weren't announcing for the primaries until April, May, you know, and a few that were a little bit later into the the summer. But that that's an extra three, four months that he's out there. And I don't necessarily think that it, you know, would have helped his case if and when I say his case now, I don't mean Trump's, I mean DeSantis's. I honestly don't know if it would have helped his case if he had gotten out there any earlier. But I could be wrong on that one. And there's another quote I want to read from the New York Times article that the National Review is quoting here. "Quote: In Mr. Trump, the governor has found himself running against a rival who filled the upper ranks of his operation with veteran consultants that Mr. DeSantis had discarded. The Trump team used its insider knowledge of his idiosyncrasies and insecurities to mercilessly undermine him from his footwear to his facial expressions, starting months before he entered the race. And now we get back to the commentary from National Review. Quote, while the left's caricature of the right has fixated on hyper-masculine effect is granted, it's also true that DeSantis has been too obsequious towards Trump to win him the anti-Trump voter, while also running a campaign that's necessarily undercutting the Trump cult that sees their golden man as one who can stick it to the libs. So, you, you see the, the point that New York Times is trying to make here, which is, Trump is just going for Mr. DeSantis. He is not giving him any breaks whatsoever. He was just attacking him mercilessly, mercilessly, mercilessly. And DeSantis didn't hit back hard enough. That's exactly what National Review is trying to get at. He's saying, "No, okay, he was going for the anti-Trump voter while also trying to court the Trump voter a little bit. But instead of it being you know, really Trumpy language, it was, hey, I did it. You know, Trump talks about doing stuff. I actually did it. And the National view is right here. He was trying to walk the tight line between being a man that can court the people that don't like Trump, but also being the person that could peel off a few of the, the Trump voters. And he has not walked that tight rope well. And I would say that for every single candidate, we've seen the criticism. If you've been paying attention to news whatsoever, this has always been the conversation. And at the end of the day, The conversation always leads back to no one's doing it well enough. No one's criticizing Trump well enough. Whether you're a person on the left, whether you're a person on the right, everybody acknowledges who is in this political sphere, they're saying, yeah, no, they're not doing a good enough job at tearing Trump down. Now, maybe that's because everybody who's speaking in the mainstream media and a few other components out there who are not necessarily mainstream, but they have a dog in this fight, maybe that's because they don't want Trump to run, so they're saying, oh, you haven 't torn him down enough, but still, they have a point if you're trying to peel off his voters, if you 're trying to change their mind if you 're trying to highlight why they shouldn't put their trust in Donald Trump, all of the people that are running in the primary have not done enough of that except for chris Christie and guess what? No one likes Chris Christie anymore; they find him abrasive, so this is not just a problem with DeSantis, is what I'm trying to get at. The New York Times tries to make it, oh, it's just a DeSantis problem. No, no, no. This is a entire primary field problem, or at least the serious ones, when they were all there. Now it's just Haley and DeSantis. And Haley's going after Trump a little bit, but she's still being like, well, you know, we we had our differences. I didn't always agree with him, but he, he did a good job while he was an executive. Yes, you can say that. I mean, it's like going after the last president when you're in their party. You really shouldn't go after them full throttle. But what's the distinction between you and them besides saying, oh, yeah, I would have had a few different policies? No, you need to directly call out where they were wrong and point it out and try to propose your solution. And if it doesn't resonate with the voters, it's not going to resonate with the voters. At this point, if you look at the polls... A lot of people are still with Trump. They haven't peeled off Trump quite yet. So I don't see why these primary candidates aren't going and saying, okay, we need to attack full throttle. Yes, you could argue that they're to play strategic. They're waiting until the poll results come in from the caucus in Iowa or from the primary in New Hampshire and South Carolina and then the next few states. And once they see that they're gaining a little bit of momentum, they can fully attack Trump in order to peel off some of his voters. But you need to start doing that now, because otherwise it's going to be too late, in my opinion. So that's enough on the election stuff. We're going to do a quick overview of this other article that comes from the Washington Examiner. And the headline reads, K-Power, South Korea's Emergence as a Global Pivot State Attracts U.S. Allies. And South Korea is one of those countries that has become pivotal. Or mm, wow, I use the whew, I use the word that they use here, only a little bit different. Uh, it has become very important to U.S. foreign policy in Asia, especially since it helps hem in China on that north border. And then you have Japan, who is also an important ally. And then we're talking about Taiwan. So that little chain of three, they also all of those produce you know a lot of great technology. Uh, All of those countries are very, very important to Asia, the Asia policy of the United States. And we're starting to see an emergence of South Korea now, I mean, if you know about BTS, if you know about uh, Parasite, a great movie on Netflix, a lot of people have raved about Squid Game. You know about their cultural influence. If you know about the fact that they have Samsung and LG and a lot of different tech companies that export around the world, you know their influence in the technology sphere, not to mention their ability to produce chips. If you know about their burgeoning military industry, you know that they've sent a lot of military weapons to Ukraine, which is something that is highlighted in this article, which I I did not know until I had actually read this article so south korea is coming forth on a lot of different fronts and this is something that people who know asia have probably been predicting for quite some time they're like yeah okay south korea is going to be a rising power but they're becoming even more key to the strategy that the u.s and other allies within the nato alliance or within the asia-pacific alliance are starting to take note of Quote, for much of its history, South Korea's foreign policy outlook has been dominated by the persistent threat of renewed conflict with North Korea. The communist regime whose invasion of the South, we don't need to go into that one. Quote, it's it's a very important country nobody is talking about. The senior Baltic official said, uh, quote, South Korea was viewed only as a good example of resisting the evil North and its neighbor. But it is very much more public than that. All other big, big boys were more visible. Definitely more visible. Now, you know, that is kind of political talk. It's just repeating the same thing. But what he's trying to get at is they've played an underhanded role. It has been very, very low key. And now that they're even more significant, they've been working in the background. You know, they have been the understudy on the stage they, they've they been working diligently they've been doing what they have to do they didn't know if their time would come and now all of a sudden they are thrown onto the front stage and they are playing an even larger role than they even knew they would or you could argue that they actually planned it out this way but they're at least playing a bigger role than the audience the rest of the world thought that they would quote south korean president yun suk yul has made his presence felt around the world over the last year especially in Washington DC where he delighted a Washington house a uh, White House audience with his rendition of Don McLean's American Pie during a state dinner in April he has also made state visits to Saudi Arabia Qatar and the United Kingdom and most recently the Netherlands where he declared a semiconductor alliance that includes a $755 million deal with Samsung and ASML, the dunch company that manufactures the equipment needed for the production of microchips. And this is one of the key things that I wanted to highlight. We have known for a long time that China really wants to go after Taiwan. We have also known for a long time that Taiwan is a staple in the production of microchips. They are one of the largest producers. They are the producer of some of the best technology. So the fact that you're seeing South Korea take advantage of this political moment when people are afraid that Taiwan is going to go under, they're afraid that China is going to go after Taiwan, and they're saying, hey, people are desperate to have another place to produce their chips. They're desperate to find another place to get these products from. Let's actually take advantage of this. Let's create a strategic alliance. Let's try to become a larger chip manufacturer. It's a brilliant move, and if it works, it will catapult them even further into the conversation of an important nation, not just in Asia, not just in that region, but across the entire world. So just keep that in mind. Keep on watching for stories like this, and I would encourage you to read a little bit more of this article. The link is in the description below that like and subscribe button. So... With all that said, we got all the fun political stuff, all the geopolitical stuff out of the way. Let's jump to our daily delight, which comes from Parade Pets. Minnie Pig's little tail wags with excitement as she shows off new music skills. And yes, you heard that right. A pig with music skills. I mean, I thought I'd seen it all in my day. You know, these 23 years on this earth, I thought that I had been able to imagine all the capabilities of these animals and yet every single time they find a way to surprise me yes i'm being a little bit sarcastic there but it's still true i didn't see this one coming uh quote on december 21st tiktok user penelope rose and daisy dukes shared a video of baby daisy daisy's not so hidden talent and it is so cute take a look in a quick 20-second video, we may D- meet Daisy Dukes, a cute mini pig who is really excited to show off her sweet musical talents. And If you want to see her musical talents, if you want to see this video, or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below the like and subscribe button, like I mentioned a minute ago. Down there, you can also find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google Podcast, as well as Podvine. And any of the places you're listening there should also have a description with that link so you can go and see any of these articles or that cute TikTok video. And there's also a Twitter handle down there, at Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. And that's a little bit less formal, normally having something to do with what I'm reading or thoughts that just kind of pop into my mind. No quotes, no uh, news articles, anything of that nature. But with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.